This is episode 173 with the head coach of the 10-man elite team, a man with more than 30 years of coaching experience, the 10-man himself, Mr. Tom Schwartz. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Fitzgerald, and the episode you're about to listen to features the head coach of one of the most exciting pro teams in the United States. Tom Schwartz is a philosopher, a holistically-minded coach who develops people, not just makes runners faster. You're about to listen to one of the brightest minds in running wax poetic about the sport that we all love so much. But before we get into it, I want to first wish you a very happy new year and welcome all of our new listeners. As our podcast community has grown so much recently, I want to make sure we're all running in the same lane here, if you will. On this show, you can expect conversations between me and the thought leaders in the running industry, the coaches, psychologists, elite athletes, dietitians, and physical therapists who can help you elevate your running performances. Well, you have to do the work, obviously. My goal is to show you the most strategic ways to work smarter and more productively so you can take your running to the next level. Because if you better understand running, if you recognize knowledge as a competitive advantage, you'll make better decisions about your training, leading to more effective running, fewer injuries, and faster races. Don't miss all of our other resources that can help you bring your running to that next level. We have a video channel at youtube.com slash strengthrunning, where I answer your questions, I show you effective strength and core routines, and talk through some of your most pressing training issues. And of course, our home base is strengthrunning.com. For more than 10 years, we've been helping runners level up their training, race faster, prevent more injuries, and get stronger. You'll find our award-winning blog, our free email courses, and the full library of training programs and coaching services to help you accomplish your biggest running goals. I'd also like to thank our sponsor, Inside Tracker, a company that helps endurance athletes like you optimize their training after taking a simple blood test. I'm a customer myself, and I really love their science-based approach. And I think this is one of those investments that actually make you into a better runner. You can figure out if you're over or under training so you can train more effectively. Use code STRENGTHRUNNING with no space to save 10% on any of their blood testing kits at InsideTracker.com. Our guest today is none other than Tom Schwartz, also known as Tin Man. With over 30 years of coaching experience, Tom has worked with youth runners, masters, and professionals. He's developed dozens of D1 collegiate athletes, national champions, and national record holders, and works with athletes across every distance and on every terrain from the track, road, to trail. Tom has a bachelor's degree in exercise science with a minor in coaching, a master's in human performance, an MBA, and is currently working on his PhD in health and human performance. You might recognize him as well as the coach of Drew Hunter, one of the fastest high schoolers ever a few years ago. Drew is now running professionally for Adidas on the Tin Man Elite team in Boulder, Colorado. Today, you'll hear Tom's thoughts on growing the sport of running, how to design training that actually makes you faster, the ingredients that have made the Tin Man Elite team such a dominant force in the United States, and how to emulate the secret sauce of Tom's team, even if you're not an elite athlete. Without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Coach Tom Schwartz. Tom, it is so good to have you here. Welcome. 
Thank you. Appreciate it, Jason. You know, I want to start by going way back because I feel like you were one of my earliest virtual running mentors when I was back in college, maybe about 15 years ago, uh, because I used to read a running message board called Run Insight. Do you happen to remember that site? I do. Yeah. Yeah. You were a legend there for your posts about training theory and physiology. And this was really the beginning of my interest in, in those topics. So I, I think it's only proper that we start with a big thank you, because I'm not sure if I'd be here if I didn't get so hooked on on the training ideas and, and all of your posts almost 20 years ago. Thank you. So let's start with your team, Tin Man Elite. I'd love to hear a little bit more about the history of, of the Tin Man group. When did you guys start up the Tin Man Elite group. It's not a group, by the way. It's a team, just so you know there's a difference. Oh, okay. I don't mean to be rude, but I specifically formed a team, did not form a group because group uh, groups have people that come and go. They don't really care about each other. It's they drop in when they feel like it. They're not committed to each other. Look at the vast majority of running clubs out there. Actually, I would say they're groups. People have no commitment to each other. They just want the social part of it, somebody to, somebody to train with, but they don't really are, have any real huge commitment to each other. A team does. So I formed this uh, team in, in, in kind of the general concept. I wanted a NCAA Division I type of uh, model uh, to use for it. So on in a university program, you have a, a team, perhaps an assistant or two. You have a race schedule. You have a bond. You, you are together for very long periods of time, and you're always at practice. There are no excuses unless you're sick or something like that to show up at practice. Groups, people can come when they feel like it. Okay? The other thing is on a university team, you do a lot of activities outside of training and outside of competing. Uh, together. So you go to, you know, you go out to dinner, you play other activities, you know, whether it's uh, volleyball or pick up basketball or cornhole or you name it, barbecues, uh, rafting, hikes, you do all kinds of stuff once you're, while you're not doing schoolwork. So that's what my guys do on my team. They do a lot of activities outside of running together. They become like a band of brothers, so to speak. The objective will be in the future to um, build a women's side of it. But, you know, the, the limitation has been the funding component of it. We haven't had any serious funding at all from Adidas. So the, the formation of the women's side of it is limited uh, until Either, you know, those who have capacity to contribute to a team for the women's side of it, uh, you know, provide us some source of, of help and support, or we form it ourselves, which is what, what we did with the team. Um, that's why we have, that's why the guys have the business side of it. That's why they sell merchandise is because they don't really have any serious funding. So I told them a few years ago, look, um, I doubt that there will be any team support. This is not like Nike that has a, a formalized organization that 
um, is focused on on uh, big time success. Uh, the Adidas approach is individual contracts for superstars, and that's it. I am hopeful that that changes, but it hasn't been the case um, up to this point. Well, I think the distinction between a group and a team is an important one, and it, it does sound like you know, that is is one of the big differentiating characteristics, I, I think, of Tin Man Elite. And, you know, I, I follow all the guys on social media and and it seems like what you're building is is just so unique. And, you know, I wanted to ask you, you know, what is what is so special about the Tin Man Elite team? You know, that the team has really taken the running world by storm. And I don't mean just the the individual running performances of the athletes that you're coaching, but you know, the, the enormous following of the runners, uh, especially young runners, you know, it seems like they're really, uh, role models for a younger generation. And, and I was going to ask, what is the secret sauce here? What makes Tin Man so special? And, and it sounds like it is that band of brothers component to it. Do you think there's something else going on or, or were you just very intentional with this? It was very intentional from the beginning. I said, look, look, we're going to have a mission statement. That's real simple. We are not going to be selfish individuals and isolate ourselves from the world, which was the convention um, prior to us coming along. We, uh, you know, it, it was nearly impossible to know how any of the top athletes trained. It was nearly impossible to get to know any of the top athletes unless you, unless you had to be personal friends with them, right? It, it, it was very difficult to... Um, to relate to individuals because you didn't know much about them. There was secrecy. Uh, I said, I, I don't like that. You know, if we're going to build our sport and make it one of the most popular sports in the world, we got to be open about who we are. We got to people, we got to show people that we care about them. We got to bring them together. We got to know that just because you're not fast doesn't mean you're not important. Okay. Uh, if if we reach out to other, the community in, in various ways, whether it's to give, uh, you know, drop-ins where you can come, uh, come to the race where we're located and go for a run with us for 30 minutes um, or get on the, get on the uh, you know, Zoom or whatever and do uh, webinar type things or... We do marketing type things, which we you know, normally use to try to bring attention to whatever product or service you're offering. But we do it in, in a social way where we're showing the fun side of our sport and showing people that our sport is a lot more fun and exciting than just the running times or the places that people have, you know, in competition. If we show that our sport can be full of excitement, then we'll bring people into the sport. And then I also want to make sure that we keep people in the sport. Um, if there is a, a feeling that we're all in this together, whether you're slow, uh, intermediate or fast, whether you're a supporter of of the sport, like parents or grandma and grandpa or aunts and uncles, or the principal at the school or, 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 you know, teachers. If we can bring lots of people into this sport, we're going to feel like we, we did something worthwhile. Uh, you know, then what I'm talking about is having a mission that's value driven as opposed to 
selfish, uh, financial, um, it's all about me and my performance type of approach. That's, that's been our goal. I think we're, we're, we're succeeding on some fronts. We, we got a long way to go to make this better and better. And, and we won't stop until we make this one of the most popular sports in the world. I don't like the fact that soccer, for example, in the United States was almost a non-existent sport in the 1970s and 80s when I was going through um, primary school and high school. I mean, nobody in America knew anything about soccer. Seriously, we didn't. But how is it that in the mid-1990s to the present, in a short period of time, it's outpaced track and field and cross country? How is it? Well, for one thing, they've had an incredible structure that we don't have in track and field. We simply don't. We have an isolation system. We don't have any understanding of what that there's possibility of getting money in this sport. There's not that much money. There's money for a few top individuals. But the problem is nobody knows how much money those guys are making or gals are making. That's a serious problem. That's why we have an amateur sport at the moment. Soccer, you know who are the top, what the top stars are making. Football, basketball, baseball, hockey. We all know what the superstars are making. And everybody that comes out of college who's as good as the one before gets at least what they're, what the superstars are currently making. And if they have better records and backgrounds than the ones preceding them, they get an even higher contract. And that contract is known. And that's why there's money in those sports. We don't have that because everything is quiet. So there are lots of folk, lots of different areas that I'm trying to develop. I'm trying to make this sport a superstar sport. I'm trying to make put get money into this sport because if we get money into this sport. It'll be on television all the time. We'll get a lot more people involved in it. We'll get more top level performances than ever before. Okay, and we'll walk away from this sport whenever. We, you know, when the athlete retires or the coach retires, feeling good that they made a difference in the world. Because at the end, at the end of it, it's not how much money you made and it's not how fast you run. You know, it's what you do that's of, of service to, to humanity. I think that's a powerful mission statement for the 10 man elite team. And, you know, I was reading an interview with Reed Fisher, and he was talking about, you know, when he was growing up, he looked up to Galen Rupp, but at the same time, he didn't know anything about Galen. He, he didn't know anything besides his name and his personal bests. And and so after a certain period of time, he just didn't really care anymore. And the transparency that the 10-man elite team is bringing to the sport, uh, I feel like it has is, is been refreshing in my perspective. Um, but it also is giving younger runners that visibility into not only, you know, what your workouts are like, but what your day to day is like. So I, I think the, uh, the transparent nature of the 10 man team and, and how you guys are going about things, uh, is, is a lesson for, uh, for, for a lot of us. I think Jason, if, if you could add one word to what you said, I would, I would say inclusive, Inclusive. I like that. Transparent, yes, but I don't even know if transparent is is fully descriptive of what we're trying to do. We're trying to be inclusive, bring people into the sport, saying everybody has value. Everybody who has an interest 
everybody who wants to improve, you know, you're on the same page as us. You're in the same sport as us. We we value you. Okay. Um, you don't have to be fast to be important. That's what I'm trying to say. I, I think that's also refreshing coming from, you know, a, a, a coach such as yourself, because, you know, I do a lot of coaching myself, but, you know, I'm coaching uh, adult runners who are not professionals. They're not at the top of the sport. And I'm always telling people, look, you don't have to be, you know, the, the best in your uh, your region, your state, et cetera, to get a coach. You know, my whole coaching philosophy is about, you know, if you love the sport and you want to improve, then I have a spot for you. And, uh, I I love that you're doing this at the top of the sport and really a way to kind of bring people up from the bottom. I think that's really powerful. And the focus on the fans, you know, the real fan focused work that the Tin Man team is doing, uh, I think is, is building this whole, you know, groundswell of support and fans from, you know, the younger generations. And, and I just think that's so exciting because, you know, I've had guests on the podcast before talking about how do we make the sport more popular? How do we get more people in the sport? How do we get more money in the sport? How do we get track and field and cross country and road racing on television? And it's always an interesting conversation. And I really love your perspective um, on things. One of the things that, that I don't think a lot of these big companies, say Adidas or whomever, really get is that our sport is a lifetime sport for the most part. Many of the sports are not. What happens when you're no longer on a high school or a college football team or how many people actually make the pros? What what happens? You you don't play football anymore. That's right. (laughs) Right? Okay. You get overweight and out of shape. Seriously. Take a look at the vast majority of football players. Nothing. I watch pro football all the time. I'm a big fan, right? I'm, but truth is, it, they're not lifelong sports. Baseball, lifelong sport, probably ten percent or less, five percent of the people that played high school basketball end up playing regularly once they're not on a team, you know, high school or college team anymore. You need a lot of people for those sports. Yeah, and you got to have people together. You don't need anybody to put on your clothes and go out the door and go for a run. You can, you want to play a game of basketball, football, baseball, you would have to have people at a specific location at a specific time to do it. Yeah, it's a difficult uh it's it's kind of a difficult thing to to look at running and and not see a lot of potential there because you're absolutely right. It's a lifetime sport. I remember when I graduated college and you know I kept training, I kept competing just because I loved it. I loved training hard. I loved racing, and I had a lot of friends who didn't. Who you know once they ran their last outdoor track race in college, that was it. They hung up their spikes and they never really stayed with it. And it always blew my mind because you know for the most part you know, most of my friends at least stayed with it a little bit. And it's one of those great sports where, you know, you could be 20 years old having a blast and you can be 90 having the time of your life as a runner. And and I think that's just something really special. Well, you know, running offers a lot of social elements to it that we now in this COVID crisis see are such a big deal. Why do we have higher suicide rates among teens and young adults right now than we've ever had 
because people are isolated. But a sport like running brings people together, right? I could literally be going jogging around my neighborhood here in Broomfield, Colorado, all right, and I'll run into somebody and I'll wave to them and 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 if we're at a stoplight or or, or I stop to tie my shoe and they they do the same or whatever, we can talk. We don't even have to know. We form a bond. The next thing I know, I'm saying, "Hey, if you ever running out this way, you want to go for a run at uh, you know seven in the morning with me? Feel free. I'm here." I mean, it really becomes a social endeavor. You go to a running race, you know, you can meet literally dozens of people that you never met before and form friends. You feel like you belong to some some positive social vibe thing. Uh, there's a connection. I mean, I know a lot of people. I coach a lot of non-elites. And one of the best things about their uh, about their week is looking forward to going to that race on the weekend. It's not necessarily about them trying to run a fast time. Sure, they want to do that. Okay, but they really like being around those other runners. It's a great social vibe. It's a positive, positive place to be among other people who want to be healthy, who, who, who want to, you know, not, not be planted in a chair all day long and uh, who just want to just kind of enjoy life. You can't enjoy life if you're stationary. It's just hard. Tom, you are quite the salesman for running. <laughs> you know, I, re I remember some of my favorite memories of, of being on a team were, were all those distance runs, all the shared miles with my friends and teammates who, you know, there's hours every week that we would spend together. And, you know, besides the workouts where you can't really talk as much, you know, all those long runs and morning runs and base runs were just story time, just time to socialize, tell jokes and forge even deeper relationships. And I don't think I'd be the person I am today if I didn't have all of those shared miles with dozens of friends over my high school and college running career. So it's certainly been, I think, one of the most rewarding things I've, I've ever done in my life was starting to run. Well, you know, even beyond the social, what you learn as a runner is totally applicable to all areas of your life. I would suggest endurance sports in general teach us more about what it takes to be successful at anything in life than, than nearly any kind of activity or workshop or seminar that we can be involved with. You learn that, that it's not always flashy, right? Probably 80 or 90% of the time when you're a runner, it's it's not like giggles. It's not like super fun and exhilarating. It's basically mellow, just putting in the work day after day, right? So the there's delayed gratification as a component that's necessary to be successful in life, and you learn that in running. You learn about self-discipline. Self-discipline, right, which you learn from running, is more important than motivation. You learn to get out the door and do your training on routine, regardless if you feel highly energetic at the moment or motivated. Now, what happens in the working world? 
or as a, as a parent or in any other endeavor, you have to have the discipline, the self-discipline to go do what is necessary. You learn that from running. You learn modulation. You learn that in running, you can't go out and run the same route at the same pace every single day and expect to have continued progress. You must have some days when you go lighter and slower. You have some days when you push and go faster or longer. Same thing in the working world. You want to be a better student at the university level? Don't study the same amount at the same intensity every day. Big mistake. You lose motivation, you lose enthusiasm, you become fatigued, and you don't get as much benefit. Some days you need to study harder and longer. Some days you need to review and, and, and study a shorter amount of time and less intensely. You want to be better at whatever job you have. You can't go in and work the same super high intensity for eight or nine hours a day with the same approach every day. And expect to have continued improvement in your knowledge and skills, your creativity, your ability to innovate. You'll lose motivation if you are the grind every single day of doing the same activity at the same intensity. You must modulate. You must have purpose in what you're doing because you only have so much energy and time. You learn that from running. I got one hour to get my run in before I got to go to work. I must have a purpose for what I'm doing. Well, the same thing applies to your job. You want to be successful? Have a purpose for what you're doing. Don't do mindless work. You want to be a parent that's that's really helping their chi- your child grow and learn? Be specific about the amount of time that you engage with them. My brother is great at that as an example. He will plan for, for several days ahead of time what he's going to do with the kids on the weekend. He will get the supplies he needs if they're going to do an art project, if they're going to do a hike, if they're going to do whatever. He will get the supplies he needs for that activity several days in advance. He has a purpose for what he's doing. He has an objective that this is what they're going to experience. These are the possible learning effects of this experience. And there's something that they can take away from that and, and use in their daily life. That's an amazing component that we experience that all the time, if you think about it as runners. Yeah, it sure is. And, you know, I think a lot about my education and, and how it wouldn't have been complete if I wasn't participating on a cross-country indoor and outdoor track team for eight years. I think everything I learned on those teams might even outweigh all the academics that I learned. Because you can you can read up on, you know, facts and figures and 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 those kinds of things, but learning self-discipline or modulation or, you know, motivation, but also that you can't rely on motivation and and all those things that you were talking about, I think is just so powerful. And, uh, you know, you mentioned too, about how you coach such a wide variety of people. And I don't, I don't want our listeners to think that you're only coaching, you know, national and world-class athletes, you know, you're, you're coaching, you've been coaching for more than 30 years. You've worked with practically every type of runner from high schoolers to adult runners to college athletes and professionals. Um, what are, what are some of the, the, the common training principles or, or lessons 
that allow you to work with with nearly any runner at all kinds of event distances. You know, you work with folks who are racing the 800 and racing the marathon, which are, you know, enormously different types of races. What's the through line between ages, abilities, and events? How how are you getting results for your athletes? Is it is it more than the training? Because I I have a feeling it might be. Well, it, in terms of training, you got to follow principles foremost. Key principles are you must, you know, have specific goals in mind that relate to your um, situation. Um, just don't be arbitrary. Um, second, you must think long term. If you don't think long term, you're always going to make mistakes because you, you will act on impulse. In other words, plan ahead. Think about where you need to be a few weeks or months from now, okay, and work backwards. You know, uh, that's really a big deal. Another principle in training is you must have consistent integration, okay? We know from, from the academic realm that if you focus on, if you just study one type uh, of, of whatever it is, if you study one area only, you become really good at that area, but you become incompetent, so to speak, in other areas. So in the short term, you can gain a lot by focusing on just one one area. But what happens is you become, over the long term, incapable of being diverse in your creativity, problem-solving ability because you haven't experienced other challenges. So... What you need to do is constantly expose yourself to a variety of challenges, okay? And that's why the use of the integration principle, the diversity principle, is really a big deal. Don't set up your training where weeks on end you're just doing mileage. That's just plain foolishness. I can go over and over all the details of physiology and why that's not a good idea. But, I, but just keep it simple. Anytime you're ignoring other areas, they're eroding, right? So if you're just doing distance work, you're losing, losing your skill at running quickly and smoothly and efficiently. You're, you're losing your sense of pace. You're losing your ability to focus while you're fatigued. You're also making it darn boring. <laughs> it's like eating, you know, pizza every single day. I love pizza. It's my favorite food, but I can't have a pizza every single day and expect to have the same enjoyment for pizza after a few weeks, okay? A variety is a, is a big deal. You got to have that consistent integration of a variety of training stimuli, training environments. Not only does it improve your skills and knowledge and capacities, but it sustains your motivation. And it certainly makes it more diff more easy for you to uh, have the discipline to keep going because you're not always doing something that's monotonous. Now, Tom, you mentioned thinking long term, and I'd love to to drill down into this a little bit more. You know, your coaching has been described as as quote unquote macro or or that which prioritizes, you know, the overall well-being of the athlete rather than, you know, trying to squeeze every last second out of them in the next upcoming race. 
And I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about, you know, what this means from a practical perspective. What, what steps are you taking to help your runners develop and improve consistently while also, you know, not pushing them too hard and taking this long-term approach? Uh, using principles, as I said, well, number one, you got to have the integration. Number two, you got to use like an 80-20 rule. I mean, I've, I've said for years, the vast majority of your key workouts, meaning the, the ones you're challenging yourself with, shouldn't exceed 80% of the maximum volume that you can handle that day at that particular intensity. So if you can do uh, five times 800 meters in two minutes, 30 seconds, you should stop at four. If five is the very last rep you could do and you start to fall apart and you could not do number six at 230, probably four reps is ideal. That's 80%. Why? Because you get the benefit, the stimulus for improvement, but you also don't crush your ability to come back and do other forms of running that are also important, like the distance run the next day. So in other words, don't get greedy and try to get too much and think that you got to go to maximum fatigue to get maximum benefit. The same principle applies in the weight room. It's erroneous to think that you have to go to maximum exhaustion in a weight room to get maximum benefits. Totally erroneous. Quite literally, you can go in, you know, and do four sets of four reps at a given weight where you could do maximum of five sets before you completely fall apart and can't you uh, use good form anymore. If you stick at four sets instead of five sets, you'll get tons of benefit, a lot of benefit. You won't get so sore that you can't come back two or three days later and do another key workout. You're trying to keep momentum. And that's why I talk all the time, uh, you know, about keep the ball rolling. Do everything in your power to keep momentum on your side, whether it's training within, within, uh, you know, within your ability to absorb it or getting the sleep that you need so that you're not exhausted the next day and have to cut your workout short or cut it out. Or eating, you know, eating uh, quality food so that your body recovers, so that you can train well the next day. You know, hydrating, having positive relationships, and not doing training that fries you. You know, what I, what I, I used to see so often, and I have pushed hard against over the last many years, and it seems to be catching on, is the concept of of modulation. So many people just ran their distance run on one day fairly hard, and then they tried to do their intervals or tempo run hard the next day. And then they kept doing it back and forth, back and forth, at, at just barely below their their ability to handle anything, you know? Uh, example, elite runners all ran six minutes a mile or faster on their easy days. And I said, that's ridiculous. What you're doing is compromising your ability to run fast in your quality days. If you're out there running 15 miles, you're an elite runner. You're running 15 miles at 550, 540 pace on Monday, and you expect to do high-intensity repeat miles the next day. Well, I guarantee you're going to be low on glycogen, meaning store carbs. And you're going to have some nervous system fatigue, right? You're not going to be able to run nearly as fast in your repeat miles the next day, and you certainly won't be able to run it with skill, meaning good mechanics, good rhythm, good form, because you're so you're so depleted from the previous day. 
So you're practicing bad form, bad mechanics, bad mechanics, bad rhythm on your interval workout day. And therefore, you're not improving your skill. And if you're not improving your skill, you're always going to be using the same amount of energy to run at the same pace as you were before. Instead of the converse, where you run with skill and precision, and little by little as the weeks go by, you lower the amount of energy required to run at a given pace. And therefore, you increase your ability to run a faster pace throughout your race. You know, the skill component is so ignored in distance running. In sprinting, you bet. They focus it on all, focus on it all the time. But in distance running, most people just want to work hard as they possibly can tolerate. And all they do is, you know, in the short term is get tired and they just have to up their motivation and up their focus. And what ends up happening is they don't improve their skill. They get injuries, overuse injuries. And at some point, they just get fried and quit the sport. And that's not what we want. Exactly. And so, uh, you know, I had a conversation a while back with Tom Foreman. He he works at CNN. You've probably seen him on TV, but he uh, he's written a great book on running and he's a runner himself, he kind of got into it later in age. And, and he has this rule for himself where the next day's run is always more important than today's run. And it's this interesting way of shifting your perspective on things so that it forces you to not do anything today that will then compromise tomorrow's run. And, you know, your keep the ball rolling, you know, uh, idea, it, it seems seems to fit this, uh, you know, day, this idea of the next run being the most important because, you know, you're always going to stop short of what you're truly capable of because it's not a race. It's not a time to test your physical prowess. And it's a way to, you know, almost be a little bit more conservative in your training so that you can focus on the long term rather than on, you know, tomorrow or today. And and I think that's just such a, a more productive perspective on overall development of athletes. I would say the only difference between Tom Foreman's approach and mine is that I would say tomorrow and the following day and the following day's workouts are just as important, not more important. Because it's it's the amalgamation, it's it's the composite of all the different types of training consistently done over a period of time that helps you rise to a new level, a stable level. What we don't want is an unstable level. You could get fitter faster by pushing really hard, but you it, you create an unstable situation. You cannot sustain it. Yeah, yeah, that's a, a good a good clarification there. Um, I, I'd love to bring this out to you know the listener right now, and I think one of the reasons why you know this current time period is just so challenging for runners is that we don't have that team support, that community right now. We're not really running with our friends. There aren't any races. We can't really go to the gym in a lot of places. How do you think our listeners right now can experience some of that? Tin Man secret sauce, that community that, you know, just them being more than just athletes, them supporting one another without actually training with a team every day. What can these runners do? Well, I think, uh, you know, if, if you're if you're looking at the Tin Man uh, videos and that sort of thing, that's that's definitely one way of feeling like you belong to something. And there might be other other you know, teams or clubs out there that do something similar. I know a lot of them are, are following what we've been doing. 
and uh, uh, either doing the same or putting their own little twist on it because uh, they see the value in engaging the community far more, whether it's, you know, like the Nike people are probably doing it just for sales. I doubt that they're doing it just, it's not to be rude. I, I think they have a focus, you know, that from the higher echelon is, hey, we need to increase our sales. We want to be competitive in the market. So we, we need to do what brings more people into it. And it looks like the 10-man elite has a good model here. They've certainly got, you know, thousands upon thousands of followers. Um, if we do the same, we'll have more followers. We'll gain more market share. I would hope that some of the individuals on on the Nikes and the Brooks and all the other teams and the Hokas and all that, they're uh, doing it for more than just sales. Um, and I suspect if you talk to some of the individuals on the team, you'll on their teams or clubs, you'll find that they enjoy helping um, the running world. I don't know. I might have got off track on what you were focusing on. No, I think I think reaching out and helping the broader running community, whether that's you know one on one, whether that's uh, virtually in some way, is probably one of the best ways to get that Tin Man secret sauce. Is because you know you are then engaging, you are becoming part of the running community instead of a more passive bystander. So I, I do think any kind of engagement, even if it is virtual and online right now, before you know, things get a little bit more back to normal, hopefully next year is probably one of the best ways that runners can, you know, increase their self-discipline and motivation to train is just being surrounded by those who are doing it and and making it look fun like your team is. Yeah. And, you know, and, and you've kind of made me think about where, where and who could be involved, you know, where, where we need to be involved and who could be involved in helping Helping people feel more connected, runners feel more connected. Why? Why is it USA Track and Field doing more of this? Okay, there's no reason that they couldn't go on board with trying to make people feel connected, rather than just all about the elite runners and how fast they run. You want to grow the sport? That's the approach you need. I would cha- challenge, you know, Mr. Siegel in charge of USA Track and Field to focus on the community and connecting people a lot more than just about the elite people. I'm not saying you should get rid of, a, you know, get rid of any publicity about the elite people, but certainly you need to connect, connect with the average person who can make this support this uh, sport, you know, be mission driven about helping everybody feel valued. You do that. You're going to open doors. You're going to connect people. You're going to make the sport grow in America. No doubt about that. And also, why why aren't we doing that in the world, you know, on the world athletics scene? You know, it used to be it's world athletics now instead of IAAF. We need to do more of that. World athletics is all about elite runners, elite athletes, and that's it. That's a mistake. That's a serious mistake. Take a look at soccer. Soccer at the, you know, FIFA, the world, uh, world's highest organization for soccer. They do a lot to try to bring, uh, people in small communities together. We can do the same. You know, I've always said you got to look to other domains, other areas, uh, not just your sport. If you want to grow and improve and gain not, insights and knowledge, that's how I became a better running coach. 
better than I was before. I looked at cross-country skiing. I looked at cycling. I looked at swimming. I looked at weight, you know, what power lifters do. I look at all those other sports because there are great coaches. There are great people that have gone through challenges that have figured out better methods, better ideas, better systems. You know, why can't, why can't USA track and field or the world athletics organization do that? They got to think more broad term or a broad scope. Yeah. These are exciting questions. And, uh, you know, if someone who's had a lot of these conversations, it's uh, it always is something that is, I think, equally frustrating, but then equally uh, exciting for me because I'm I'm very optimistic about the sport of running in the future. And uh, Tom, I'm really glad we had this conversation. Uh, you know, this was going to be mostly a, a training and coaching philosophy conversation, and it turned into, you know, the the sport of running and how we grow it and, and make it a more inclusive community. And, and I think that is almost indicative of your coaching style as well. It, uh, you know, we were, we were going to go narrow and we ended up going broad and, and covering a lot more. And, and I think we had a richer conversation for that. So thank you so much for uh, your time, your expertise and your perspectives. Uh, I'd love to end with any uh, wisdom or advice you may have for our listeners, you know, mostly adult runners who love this sport. They want to keep improving. Uh, what kind of a, maybe a training tip do you have for them that might help them the most as we catapult ourselves into 2021? Slow down to speed up. I love it. <laughs> you, you can't hammer every day. You just got, you got to make sure that your days between your key workouts and long runs are truly slow and enjoyable. If you can't hold on a good conversation with somebody else, you're running too fast. Guarantee it. Great. I love it, Tom. Thank you so much for being here. And I can't wait to share this with our audience. Thanks a lot. Take care of yourself. Have a great day and happy new year. Thank you, Tom. Take care. There we go, everyone. That is my conversation with the one and only Tom Schwartz. Don't miss all the details of what Tin Man Elite is up to at tinmanelite.com. And as always, I'll have more links and resources from this episode on the Strength Running site. Finally, if you haven't checked out our long-term partner Inside Tracker, then I think you're missing out. I'm fresh off my own test. I got the ultimate package with a mobile blood draw recently, and I did find out some minor issues with my health that I'm addressing right now. And you can see what they're all about at insidetracker.com. And if you do want to take the leap, use code STRENGTHRUNNING to save 10% on any test that they offer. What they do is test over 40 different biomarkers, like various stress hormones, to determine if you're training too hard, too little, or you have any other physiological weaknesses that could potentially be remedied by either diet, exercise, or lifestyle changes. So in other words, you learn about problems that you have that then have actionable solutions. And what I love about them is that they don't just isolate problems, but then they give you a whole bunch of ways of improving your results. They use blood testing to get this information, and then they communicate to you what you can do to lift or lower your results into your personal optimal range. And for any runner who really is prioritizing their performances, who wants every advantage to really see what you're truly capable of achieving, I think Inside Tracker is a phenomenal investment. I've gotten two ultimate tests myself over the last couple of years, and both experiences were easy, 
relatively painless. I'm, <laughs> I'm admittedly not someone who likes needles. So my take on needle pain is going to be admittedly overblown. But if you're not a scaredy cat like me, you'll probably do just fine. Head on over to insidetracker.com. You can check out all their different testing kits. And don't forget, code STRENGTHRUNNING will save you 10% on any test that they have available. Thank you, runners, for doing what you do and spending some time with me today. If there's anything I can do to help you, don't hesitate to reach out. You can reach me at support at strengthrunning.com. Have a great week, and we'll be in touch soon.